Welcome everyone to Bitcoin Magazine's Meet the Taco Plebs. Before we get started today, as always, I must inform you that we're having the best event in the world, Bitcoin 2022 in Miami, April 6th through the 9th. You're going to be able to get 10% off with code TACOPLEBS, no space, just TACOPLEBS. And uh, if you do purchase a GA ticket with Bitcoin, you can get $100 off. And I believe it's $1,000 off a whale pass if you purchase with Bitcoin. So uh, don't be afraid to spend those sats, friends. And uh, I definitely want to see as many of you in Miami as possible. And uh, if you're interested in uh, our, our on-chain analysis product, the Deep Dive, I do have a code for you, macro 21 no space as well. Um, and you can get a nice discount on our uh, on-chain analysis product that created by Dylan. So without further ado, we have a fantastic guest today. Uh, Nick Ward, head of growth here at BTC Inc. has joined us. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Casey. Uh, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Uh, I really feel like you were one of the most uh, important additions to our team in, in the last six or so months, I'd say. Um, and you've really made a, a, a huge splash in terms of like our reach, our marketing. Uh, so, it, you know, it's been, it's been great to have you on the team. Thanks. I appreciate that. I mean, it's, I've kind of been looking at working in Bitcoin for a long time and, and Bitcoin magazine was kind of like the top echelon of companies that you can work at as far as that goes. So definitely happy to be here and working with everybody. Yeah. Well, it's been a great fit so far. But uh, first, I want to ask you how you got into Bitcoin. What uh, what led you to the the orange rabbit hole? Sure. So <clears throat> my first introduction or my first touch point with Bitcoin came in 2014. Uh, I was working on a web design project and it was brought up in a group chat uh, with myself and a couple other developers. Um, I had been uh pretty big into fantasy sports and uh, DFS, which is daily fantasy sports specifically, like DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, I had recently won like a couple thousand bucks and I was looking to like just take those gains and, and roll them into something more significant. Um, and I still have like screenshots of that discussion between myself and those developers. And like looking back at it, it's it's pretty rough to, to look back at that discussion um, because obviously with hindsight, um, I can see the the enormous uh, opportunity cost that came as a result of me not digging in uh, when I first heard about it. So that was my first touch point. Um, I wound up getting a little bit. I wound up getting out of it very shortly after and not doing the homework to understand what Bitcoin was. So I had sold a few months later. I came back in 2017 with a vengeance, fell for a lot of the same mistakes uh, a lot of altcoins, ICOs, crazy hype. Uh, but thank God the uh, 2017 bubble popped because uh, I'm not sure I'm not sure I would have learned my lesson otherwise. Um, just having that multi-year bear market after 2017 kind of broke down. Uh, that bear market was uh, I looked at it kind of like as an incredible opportunity to to just learn what I was just a part of kind of like a post-mortem, like looking back. Um, I think the key part for anyone that goes through like a bull and bear cycle and they find themselves in a bear cycle is like, you have to, you have to have the curiosity to want to dig in and ask those questions um, and want to know the answers to the questions. Like, what did I just witness? What was I just a part of? Why did this happen? Has it happened before? And 
what's with all these crazy people saying Bitcoin is the only thing that matters? Uh, I think curiosity is kind of what fuels that entire process. So kind of thankful that I, you know, had my first touch point, but uh, in hindsight, I wish I would have uh, dug a little deeper. That makes sense. Well, hindsight is certainly 2020. Uh, but, you know, I, I find your reflection on sort of like the most important part being recognizing like what you just went through in terms of like uh, cycles and, and booms and busts and uh, figuring out why, as you said, people were sort of saying Bitcoin's the only thing that matters uh, regardless of boom or bust cycle. I, I found that really interesting. And uh, yeah, your fantasy football, uh, you wrote an article for us uh talking about anti-fragility and fantasy football so that's you know that's an interesting uh sort of link to uh to bitcoin and uh i I feel like it could be a common one i feel like many people might have experienced you know their first uh, bitcoin interaction with uh online sort of uh drafting style stuff but going forward um i guess what i would ask you is what would you say the primary life lesson you've experienced uh in bitcoin is Oh, I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of life lessons in Bitcoin, that's for sure. Um, if I had to boil it down to one, it's kind of like, like one of the ethos uh, phrases that surrounds the Bitcoin space is just don't trust, verify. Uh, Bitcoin has a way of like requiring you to investigate root causes of what's happening and why it's happening in the world. Uh so really digging and understanding Bitcoin from first principles um, is the only way to actually understand it, in my opinion. Uh, it forces you to challenge assumptions. You have to seek out and verify information for yourself and come to the same conclusions. Uh, one of my favorite quotes that I came across actually pretty recently uh, was from a biologist and a writer whose name was E.O. Wilson. And he said, the real problem of humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval institutions, and godlike technology. So what I what it kind of feels like is happening in the world right now is that we've reached a critical point where our uh, feeble little paleolithic brains haven't evolved to process uh, the sheer amounts of information in the world around us. Like the internet's kind of changed us in a way that we don't understand yet in my perspective. Uh, just the sheer volume of information seems like we are bogged down with noise surrounding us everywhere, 24 hours a day. And we we spend a lot of our lives just plugged into these like dopamine dripping machines like our cell phones, cable TV, social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember reading something a few years back um, that breaks down the different habit forming loops that engineers try to build into these systems like they design them specifically like going back to sports betting and gambling and stuff like that uh, a lot of these systems are specifically built uh, with the intention to hijack our attention and they do that by replicating um, addictive platforms like uh, if you think about instagram and facebook used to scroll and it used to have an end of the feed that's no longer right they, they replace that feature with something like pull to refresh very similar to when you pull the arm of a slot machine and you're hoping to see something that you like that you know gives you a little dopamine hit so they they really kind of take those things and uh, use it as a way to hijack attention so for me discovering bitcoin was kind of like a way to clear away a lot of that noise and a lot of that 
um, around those loops that you get into and finding out what's true and, and like honing in on it. So just digging through like the incentive structures of different systems that govern our, our, our lives every day and finding that a lot of them are corrupt or broken or have misaligned incentives in a way that's likely not repairable. So we kind of have to build from a new foundation. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a really interesting way to look at it. It certainly uh, challenges, I, I mean, I never even thought of like incentive structures and, uh, uh, you know, attention loops like uh, you're describing here <clears throat> until uh, I really had Bitcoin and, and uh, it, it brought my attention to a bit more of like a long-term uh, thinking type thing. Uh, I, you know, I don't know when that quote uh, about the real problem of humanity, I don't know when, when that was uh, spoken or written or, or what have you, but certainly we have approached godlike technology and, uh, yeah. and um, it, yeah, we're our human, you know, capacity for reason and, and understanding has been challenged by the vast amount of, of uh, data and, and information to absorb out there. And, and I, I totally agree with that quote that, we really have to catch up here with uh, the way we organize our society uh, or mm-hmm. our technology will end up ruling us uh, instead of the other way around. So, yeah, yes, exactly. That's a, that's a great way to put it for sure. Yeah. It's uh, it's certainly something that, you know, as soon as the internet was invented, we really achieved a level of technology, uh, you know, un- uncomprehendable by anyone who was alive at the time of its creation. That's for sure. And so, uh, Yes, you know, it's curious to see how Bitcoin will affect our our thinking on those sort of uh, systems. And, and uh, you know, Bitcoin at least feels like a godlike technology. So we can only hope that our institutions are at least able to, to catch up somewhat. But uh, moving forward, you've done some really cool things in the past. You know, I'm not going to name them exactly, but I did stalk your LinkedIn. And uh, I was oh, just... God. <laughs> Well, I was just curious how how your previous creative experience ha- has contributed to the work you've done so far for us. Okay, yeah. So, um, I mean, it feeds into a lot of things. Like um, all my previous experiences, kind of just compound and build on on top of each other. Um, you know, we we kind of use our time in, in different careers and different work and experiences that we have to just build out like a like a tool belt of skills. Um, that we can use to, you know, build more complex or build uh, more higher level projects, if you will. Um, I'd say most of like, to to rewind all the way back, I went to college for um, digital media. That was my major. Uh, After that, I started working at a a small agency startup in New York City. I was there for a couple of years, went to another small agency. um, And working in like startups and small agencies was actually extremely beneficial, at least from my perspective now looking back Um, because I had what amounted to like a front row seat uh, of what those daily decisions and constant iteration processes are uh, that are necessary for building something new. Um, In addition to that, it was extremely beneficial to be part of an agency where um, my role was basically to take uh, other businesses and help build out an online presence for them. So I had to do that over and over and over again, build out uh, an online presence for businesses. Um, you know, that, that ranged from a lot of things. Like it ranged from uh, starting out with, with graphic design 
uh, moving towards web design, moving towards website management, um, and then you know branching out into things like uh, online marketing, paid marketing, um, email marketing, all that stuff. So because the companies were so small and I had to wear so many hats, um, it was really advantageous to get to be able to get my hands into a lot of different pieces of a company that you wouldn't have if you were just specialized designer on a really big team. Um, so really that experience and being, being uh, in small environments, doing a lot of different things is what helped me build, build like a really robust tool belt, uh, if that makes sense. But, you know, everything from marketing, designing, building uh, websites uh, kind of just like forges you into being a Swiss army knife just because you have to be, right? You have to be able to do a bunch of little things. And I think having the more digital skills that you have and the more generalist knowledge you have about like the online worlds right now, um, the more leverage you're going to have for your career and your life down the line, uh, at least with the way the world is going right now, where everything is digital and everything's online. Um, building out that tool belt is, is particularly important now. Yeah, you got to get those scalable skills, the, uh, the digital Swiss army knife, like you said. Um, I, I certainly agree with you. This is my first real job, I would say, like a office style job and uh, being at a smaller place has been absolutely beneficial and incredible to, to you know, bear witness to the growth that we've had here. So uh, I can certainly understand the, uh, you know, benefits and, and things that you gathered from that. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been excellent to have those tools that you were talking about uh, at use here at BTC Inc. And, uh, you know, we have so many interesting things going on both here at BTC Inc. and just in Bitcoin in general. I'm curious what you would say you're most looking forward to uh, in the Bitcoin industry right now. In the entire industry, right? Not just uh, BTC Inc. Because I look at BTC Inc. and I see everything that I want to get my hands on. So (laughs) I can do either. Yeah, you could do. I mean, uh, let's 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 do one of each. Uh, what's what's the most exciting thing in the industry and and at BTC Inc. Okay, so I'll start with BTC Inc. Um, when I before I even came on board, I made a deck, um, presented it to David Bailey, and I wanted to like I'm extremely bullish on Carrot. Um, I wanted to integrate Carrot in every uh, every piece of uh, marketing, every product that we have. I feel like Carrot should be a part of because I feel like if we're marketing to Bitcoiners, there's no greater incentive or no greater carrot for them to chase than sats. So I think it should be like a big part of our process. So that would be my BTC Inc. answer. As far as what I'm looking most forward to in the Bitcoin space as a whole, um, it's hard to pick, but I would say if I had to choose something right now, it's not really well fleshed out, but the idea of um, having a having a, a decentralized identity using something like Lightning. So if you're logging into a website with your Facebook profile or log in with Google or log in with whatever, there's so much data tied to your digital footprint when you do something like that. And you're building out um, more metadata on yourself that all these companies uh, compile. Uh, I think having a technology like Lightning uh, where you can be anonymous and you don't have all these identifiers tied to you and being able to use that just as a, as a means of logging in or as a means of credentials across the web is a massive step in the opposite direction of where we are right now. 
where it's all uh, like attention hijacking, uh, figuring out the best way um, to get advertising in people's faces and basically attention hijack. Uh, I think uh, if we start from a decentralized point of view and they don't have all that metadata on us, they don't necessarily know how to advertise. So we'll have different different models uh, uh, for businesses and companies online to generate revenue, like a value for value model. So more, most specifically, just lightning logins uh, would be that answer, I'd say. Definitely, definitely. Um, I mean, we've had some fantastic, I think, Twitter space content recently from Daniel Buckner and Shinobi on decentralized identity, uh, building on top of Bitcoin, et cetera. Um, and, and I've actually, I interviewed Daniel Buckner uh, within my first couple of weeks here at the company. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting uh, subject. Uh, you know, decentralized identity, you know, people, everyone logs into things the moment they get online. Our entire, uh, you know, internet uh, experience is created through these accounts that we have for everything. And uh, like you said, all of our metadata and our, our uh, preferences and everything is attached to these identities uh, that we have several of um, that are ultimately, as you said, abused or used by uh, advertisers for uh, attention hijacking. So uh, that's an interesting point of view to, to see decentralized identity as a potential way to sort of eliminate that attention hijacking. I've never really thought about it that way. Yeah, I think like fundamentally that like web two is kind of a broken model. And I know web three is kind of like a hot uh, buzzword out there these days. Everyone wants to kind of define it uh, to their own accord, but um, I see web three more so as a transition from uh, like a web of metadata and and, um, massive digital footprints of information on people to a more decentralized and anonymous web to where uh, we can do trustless commerce and uh, value exchange. Yeah, ho- hopefully that reality is is you know closer than further away, and and I really think it is. As as Bitcoin adoption uh, you know occurs, basically we'll see people realize the incentives of a decentralized network and the uh, the sort of game theory that plays out. And I think we'll we'll see an acceleration towards decentralized, uh, like, like you say, a web three style existence on the internet. Um, so yeah, I mean, very interesting, but, um, to move on to bullishness and such, Nick, I wanted to ask you about your price prediction for the end of the year. We're getting pretty close here. And, uh, also what would you think the price would be, uh, by 2030? Always get some price talk in there. Always. Okay. Um, 2020 at the end of 2021. Um, I mostly, we had a spaces the other day where we were talking about this with the deep dive crew. Um, what do you, like, what are your, uh, what are your future thoughts on the, on the future of like cycles as, as they have existed previously? But mm-hmm. I, I think I ascribe to like the extended cycles theory for the most part. Um, so I think the top of the cycle, uh, doesn't necessarily come at like the end of the year. I think it extends like pretty well into 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a hundred thousand seems like the standard right now for everyone's answer. Like, Oh, hundred K hundred K. Um, and I know everyone loves a bullish price call, but I think we could kind of just like grind higher through the end of the year instead. So maybe like 80 K near end of the year, 80 to 90, something like that. And then as for, as for, uh, like the end of 2030, um, I mean, I think hyper Bitcoinization comes before that time. So 
you know, in, in that vein, dollar pricing will be irrelevant. So my price call for 2030 is uh, one Bitcoin equals one Bitcoin. Of course, of course, it's always true. And, uh, you know, I, I always think the price predictions uh, at the end of these podcasts are going to be so funny to look back at when, uh, when you know, hyper-Bitcoinization has occurred and we're sitting here discussing the difference between 80K and 100K by the end of the year. It's, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing to witness and a, I think a fantastic thing to record. But uh, yeah, I, I appreciate I appreciate the hyper Bitcoinization answer. I think I think that's what we're all hoping for. It's what we're working for, and uh, it certainly, uh, you know, monetary policy and geopolitics would lend it, lend us to believe that that's uh, that's the course we're headed for. But um, yeah, it seems to be aligning that way. I'd say. Yeah, and uh, and things just seem to be happening to where uh, that's the case. But uh, without without uh, you know. Any any less? Uh, we have Taco Plebs code for y'all for uh, for Miami. Make sure to use that. Get ten percent off. We have the Macro Twenty One code for the deep dive. You technical analysis lovers, um, and make sure to use that. And uh, thanks for joining us, Nick. It's it's actually been a really fantastic conversation. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. And uh, be sure to check out the next episode of Taco Plebs, everyone. Thanks for joining us.